Lord, we thank you for every good gift that you give to us. We thank you for the privilege of making these offerings of money in recognition of all that we have belonging to you. Grant that they would be used for the building up of your kingdom. And we pray now that you might enable us to humble ourselves under your mighty hand so that you might lift us up for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, it's lovely to be in Ahave this evening. Um, thank you, Gary, very much indeed for the invitation to come here. Um, quite some time ago, I think you might have invited me. Um, and definitely, if you have a washing bill for that shirt that you're wearing, uh, you can send that to me, because I think I did make you sweat a bit too much tonight waiting for me coming. If it's any consolation, I was sweating too um, on the way here. Um, but I'm glad that I made it the right side of 8 o'clock. It's lovely to be here. Lovely to see Dennis and Kathleen here as well. And Dennis, I was looking back in the preacher's book, and uh, more than you, you must have invited me to preach a harvest here as well. I think, was it back in, was it 07, I think, Gary? Um, I'll not use the same sermon tonight that I used back then. You'll be glad to know. Um, it's lovely to be here, and I was in the company of another of your former rectors just last Sunday. Uh, one of our parishes, Mountfield, had their harvests, harvests that weekend, and Canon Brian Courtney came as our guest preacher. He's looking as fresh as ever. Uh, he always spoke well when I was his curate in Enniskillen. He always spoke well of his time here in Ahave. And so it's lovely to, to make those connections in different ways by being here tonight. It, it was reputedly Benjamin Franklin, one of the founding fathers of the United States, who once wrote these words in a letter. He said, In this world, Nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Death and taxes. Well, there's two great thoughts to begin a harvest sermon, you might think. Not much cause for joy from this preacher. And uh, I'd say if I were to do a survey, most of us would say uh, we'd rather not think too much about either of those. It's not much fun paying tax. I suspect it's even less fun being a tax inspector or a tax collector because those poor folks are often on the receiving end of our jokes or even our put-downs. Here we are at harvest time, harvest Thanksgiving, uh, perhaps the time of year like no other when we acknowledge the, the goodness of God, the generosity of our Heavenly Father, when we can look back over another year when we can see the different ways that God's hand has been at work in our lives. For those of us who work the land, maybe we're looking back and thinking, well, it wasn't the best summer ever, but there's a harvest nonetheless. We can see the Lord's goodness and his generosity. And we've sung about that already this evening. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. Then thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord for all his love. It's one of the great harvest hymns and it reminds us that all the good things we enjoy, our life, our health, our food, all of them are gifts to us from the God who loves us. 
You and I know that God has designed this world in such a way that, that we must participate through our own work, through our efforts, through our stewarding uh, to bring out the best of the earth, the fruits that it offers. We plough the fields and scatter the good seed on the land. But without God, without his greater provision, without the wonderful workings and the order of his creation, we know that all our efforts would be nothing worth. So we have much to be thankful for. And at harvest time, we proclaim in our hymns and in our songs that the God we worship is the great giver. He's the great giver. That, that hymn is just one example. But I wonder if I were to push you this evening and if we were to scratch a little bit under the surface. Is that really how we view God? Is that really what we believe about him? That he's the great giver. I can't help but wonder if many people actually hold a very different view of God. Maybe even a, a, a diametrically opposed view of him. Do we perceive that God is more akin to the taxman whom we were talking about just a moment or two ago? Sometimes our use of language gives our deeper thoughts away. Have you ever heard someone say this? Well, I pay to Ahave Church. You ever heard someone say that? Maybe you said that yourself from time to time. I pay to Ahave Church or, or to some other church if you're visiting from elsewhere. When it comes to our contributions to parish funds, we often use that three-letter word, pay. We talk about paying to the church. And that suggests to me that, that in our minds, we're, we're thinking that, that the church is a bit like paying our taxes or perhaps paying for something that we've bought and therefore expecting that we should receive something in return. <coughs> Harvest is a time when we think about our giving to God. And many of you have worked hard. You've given your time and your produce to make this place look its best this evening. And it's great that we can enjoy that. And I'm glad to be able to be one of those here. Perhaps many of you have come this harvest time with a, a special offering. A, a thank offering of money to God. And indeed that's the case in many churches up and down the land at harvest time. But there's something important which I hope we can grasp this evening. Because it's crucial that we realise that. When it comes to our offerings to God, whether that's our offerings of time or our talents or indeed our treasures, that we can bring those offerings in different ways. If you like, there's a, a good way that we can offer and there's a not so good way that we can make our offerings. And as we do that, I want you to consider this. Have you ever realised that God intends that your giving and my giving should be an enjoyable experience. That giving should put a smile on our faces. And in fact the ability to give is in itself one of God's gifts to you and me. Yes, God intends that we should find joy in our giving to his work. There's a good way to give and there's a not so good way to give. And to help us find out more, 
let's turn back to that New Testament passage which I read and perhaps you were following on from earlier on, from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you find giving a challenge, if you find giving vexes you in some way, then be encouraged tonight because you're not the first. You're not the only ones. 2,000 years ago, the Christians in Corinth, whom Paul was writing to, were in the very same boat. They struggled with giving. Like us, they needed to be taught about the nature of Christian giving. And they needed to learn how to give rightly. Look again at some of the language that Paul uses in this passage. Just before where we picked up at verse 6, in in verse 5, he talks about their, their gift being given grudgingly, grudgingly. And then as we pick up in verse 6, he warns about the dangers of sowing sparingly. And then in verse 7, we can see that it's possible to give reluctantly or under compulsion. Four words or phrases that Paul highlights. Grudgingly, sparingly, reluctantly, under compulsion. What's going on? In the heart of somebody who gives in that way. Who who gives with those things going on in their attitude. Well we could call a heart like that a heart that wants to hold back. A heart that's thinking not how much can I give but rather how much can I keep. The person with that sort of heart is probably thinking about what's the least I can give. To keep myself looking respectable. To save face within the church family. For that person, giving is hardly what you'd call a fun-filled experience. There's no joy in giving if it's done grudgingly, sparingly, reluctantly, under compulsion. Because here's someone who feels like they're losing out by having to pay to the church They're thinking about what else they could have done with that money. What great fun they could have had with it if they hadn't had to give it to the church. Could that describe you? Could any of those words or phrases ever apply to your attitude when it comes to giving? You know, if we're not careful, it's perfectly possible to to make wealth building an all-consuming purpose within our lives. We might not set out to do that, but it can creep up upon us if we're not careful in our attitude to money. We can so easily kid ourselves that our wealth will set us up for a secure and a comfortable life. When in fact, when we look in the cold light of day, possessions, all of them, are very precarious. They can be taken away from us in a flash. What will happen to you if you make wealth building your first priority in life? I'd suggest that you might develop the heart that we're talking about here. A heart that holds back. And you'll become more concerned about how much you can keep rather than how much you can give. And friends, when we're thinking about giving, it's so much more than just money, isn't it? There are people in churches and in every church who work hard, often it's a small group of people, the people who clean, the people who look after the grounds, the people who are there to 
help with catering when it needs done. And we rely on those people. They work hard. But sometimes you come upon one like that and they never seem to stop grumbling about it. They never seem to stop grumbling. And it seems that the only pleasure they get is from complaining. They work hard. They're there and they turn up. But they let you know how miserable they are about doing it. And the truth is that someone like that can, can be very wearisome. They can be difficult to work alongside. They can even discourage others from playing their part. Because who wants to listen to a grumbler all the time? Friends, I hope that you give generously. I hope you give generously of your time and your talents to the church. But please don't grumble when you do so. Please don't let everybody else know uh, what a chore it is for you to have to work. Because when we look back to this passage, back into chapter 9, and we read on, we discover from the Apostle Paul that there is a better way to give. There's a better way to make our offerings of time and talents and treasures. And Paul uses the language of the fiends to teach us. In verse 6 he talks about the person who sows bountifully or or sows generously we could say. And then in verse 7 we discover that there is such a thing as a cheerful (coughs) giver. It's possible to give cheerfully. What's the difference in that person's heart? Well it's no longer a heart that wants to hold back is it? Here's a heart that wants to share. Here's a heart that wants to bless. Here's a heart that makes everything available. Gives generously, sows bountifully. You know those big magnets that you see sometimes? It it seems as though this is like a magnet that's been put on someone's soul. And it's been turned round so that instead of pulling the possessions in towards oneself, now the magnet has been turned. And... The person's just interested in blessing, pushing things out towards others, being generous and doing it with warmth and cheerfulness. The way we contribute is affected by our hearts. We can have a heart that's sparing or we can have a heart that's generous. And I would suggest to you that behind those two kinds of hearts are actually two very different views of God. If you have a heart that holds back, then I would respectfully suggest that perhaps you've got your view of God mixed up. You view God as the taxman, the great taker, the one who's there to constantly make demands on your life, to drain your resources and make you miserable. And like with the taxman, you'll not want to give God a penny more than you feel you have to do to get by. Friends, that's not God's nature. That's not what God is like. He is not the tyrant in heaven who wants to bleed us dry. Not according to this passage anyway. Because we learn here that God is not the great taker. He's the great giver. He's the God who wants to bless his people. To pour out an abundance on us. Look what it says in in verse 8 of this passage. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound 
in every good work. Friends, this verse reminds us that the God we've come to worship is a God who's not short of resources. God has no needs and he's well able to give us all that we need. He's a generous God. And here's the thing that we might miss. One of the reasons that God gives so generously to us is to enable us to multiply that generosity. To multiply it onwards. So in verse 10 we read that God will increase the harvest of your righteousness. God is generous to us so that we can learn to be generous to others. And our giving can achieve something valuable, something precious. A harvest of righteousness. The very next verse tells us that when we give generously, our own lives are enriched and and actually we become more and more able to give. Do you see what that's saying? If God blesses you, he doesn't do it so that you can spend the abundance on yourself, so that you can have a great shopping spree. No, if God blesses you and me, he does it. So that we can be an even greater blessing to others. That's why God gives us things. So that we can bless others. How do you view God? Is he the great taker? The taxman? Or is he the great giver? As you look at your own life this harvest time. What blessings can you identify? That God has given you. Have you remembered his greatest gift of all? The indescribable gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The one whose sacrifice on the cross for you and me has opened the gate of heaven. Has opened the the way of forgiveness and the way of life and hope for each and every one of us. We, We sometimes speak of that, don't we? In our communion service, we sometimes say, thanks be to you, our God, for your gift beyond words. And that comes from this passage in 2 Corinthians where it says the same thing. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Well, you know, there's really only one way to find out if this scripture is true. If what Paul says is right. And it's to do it. It's to give. To give generously. To give cheerfully. It's a case of Suck it and see. We'll not really find out if this is true unless we try it. I'm just a visitor here this evening. And so that means I don't really know anything about the state of your church. I don't know too much about the finances. don't know anything about them. I don't know too much of who does what and how many or how few people are actively serving in this church. What I do know is that In too many churches, it's often left to a small core of people who take up the majority of the jobs. Let me ask you this. What does your giving, your giving of your time, your giving of your talents, your giving of your treasures, what do those things say about your view of God? Are you trying to appease God, to buy him off, to spare any blushes? Or are you giving Because you've tasted the generosity of God in your own life. And you're responding out of a heart of love and a desire to serve. Friends, I can't help but think that there's a connection between our generosity 
and the growth or otherwise of the church. And I'd suggest that Paul alludes to that in this passage. Because generous churches with people who sow generously are often the ones that know growth. Generous churches look beyond themselves. The whole context of this passage in 2 Corinthians is that, that Paul's encouraging the church to give to the work of ministry in another place, in a place that was struggling. He's asking the Corinthian Christians, take your eyes off yourselves, stop looking inwards, look upwards to God, the generous God whose goodness you've known, and then look outwards, look out to where the need is and how you might be part of helping that need. Friends, sometimes we don't have to look too far away to see the need. And I wonder, who are the people in Ahave? Who are the people in Brookborough who need to know Christ? There's a harvest, isn't there? There's a harvest that's waiting to be gathered. And it's among people who are your family, your neighbours, members of the community where you live. People who need the Lord, who need to know that God loves them. And who needs to understand that Jesus can transform lives. How are your God-given resources meeting that need? Are you sowing generously in your community? Because friends, you've got to send the resources out if they're going to come back and bear fruit. Some of you are farmers, I'm sure. Show me a farmer anywhere who says, Oh, this year I'd love it if the crop was small. I'd love an unimpressive, weak crop this year. Farmers don't say that, do they? Farmers don't say that. Paul's point is that a bountiful harvest needs generous planting. The more seed that's sown, the more crop that's grown. Don't be a stingy sower in Achave. Don't look for a small harvest. Be bold. Sow generously. And then let God do his work, bringing souls and lives to him. Let us pray. A prayer that I've borrowed from a church in the United States, but which applies very well to our context here this evening. Lord, we pray for our eyes to be opened, to see the strangers in our community as our neighbours, and our hearts opened to willingly commit to inconveniencing ourselves to meet their needs, so that they might enter the new life only you can provide, that we might be obedient to your great commandment. And Lord, we pray for the people in our area who do not know you as saviour. And we pray too for ourselves that we would be convicted by your word to commit ourselves, all that we are and all that we have, to reaching them with the good news of your grace and forgiveness, that we might be obedient to your great commission. And these things we pray at this harvest time, for your glory and in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.